0: Thank you. Six week series called Best Life Ever. How many of you have been enjoying this series? Yeah, it's a um, financial series, right? That we have been on for six weeks. Long series, second longest series we've ever done in this church. I am sorry to say this is the last week of the series. I know. I feel bad too. <laughs> If you have a Bible uh, with you, and you should have a Bible in church, somebody said amen. Uh, I want you to go to a scripture with me tonight 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. And we're going to read that in just a moment. And we opened this series, if you remember, with this, this little illustration. So we opened with this illustration. We're going to close with this illustration. What is this? This is your life. This is your life in a rope, (laughs) and we talked about how you got to imagine that this rope just goes on and on and on forever as far as the eye can see, and it represents your life. You're an eternal being. You're going to die. You're going to cross from this life to the next, and then we talked about the fact that in light of the whole perspective of eternity that goes on forever, that this little red portion of this rope represents the amount of time that you and I are going to spend on earth. And how this gives us such an amazing perspective of eternal reality. We are not temporary creatures. We are eternal creatures. And the life that we really have has yet to be seen. It really does. Most people on planet Earth are worried like crazy about this section of their existence. They're stressed about it. They're working over all, uh, all, all kinds of hours for it. They're troubled by it. They're anxious over it. They're praying prayers to make it more comfortable or more bearable. They're, they're just, um, some of them are disgusted with it. Some of them are holding on to it for dear life. We talked about that in week two. And what God wants us to do, what God needs us to do, and what we need to do, actually, even more importantly for ourselves, is we need to remember that this is it. It's just two inches of the rope. And then it's over. And then we end up, into, we either go to heaven or hell. I'm praying everybody here goes to heaven through Jesus Christ. But it's eternal, it's forever. And this little red dot on your existence is not going to matter anymore. This is gonna matter. And this is gonna matter. And this is gonna matter. And so, in your finances, in your relationships, in your existence, are you making the eternal investments so that this portion of your existence is awesome? Jesus said, don't store. Don't store here. Store here. You have the potential to make this part of your reality awesome and better than you could possibly have imagined. And we're going to close with this this illustration today because to close out this series, I'm preaching about your priceless reward in heaven, your permanent reward in heaven. If you are going to live your best life ever in Christ, it starts with a, or it finishes, it completes this picture. You've got to focus not on just this life, but on the life to come the white portion of your robe. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will speak to our hearts and every person in this room, including myself, we will be challenged more than ever to store up treasures where no thief can break in and steal, where no rust can destroy or corrode, and that we will store them up for ourselves as commanded by you, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask this in your name. In everybody said, Amen. amen. Second Timothy four seven. Paul says, "I'm sorry." 4, yes, four seven. Paul says, "I have fought the good fight," and he's kind of telling Timothy, "This is the end for me, Timothy. I want you. To, I want you to know what's up with me. I'm. I'm. I'm departing, and I'm going up." to heaven, to my eternal reward. And he says, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And then he says this, because of that, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. He will award this crown of righteousness, Paul says, to me. God will give me a crown. God will give Paul a crown. But guess what? It's not just Paul that's getting a crown because look what he says. And not only to me, but to all, somebody say all, who have loved his appearing. God is going to give you, if you love the appearing of Jesus Christ, if you're following him, God Almighty is going to give you a crown. That's pretty important. That's pretty prestigious. That's pretty amazing. And so this evening, or today, I want to end this series. I want to talk about the fact that that there is life beyond this, and it's priceless, and it's permanent, And you got to keep it in your perspective. We want to say a welcome to our Eastern church. Watching this by video. Everybody in North Attleboro, let's give them a hand and welcome them in. Randy Alcorn, very popular Christian author, writes this in his book, Managing God's Money. A fantastic book. I read a lot of that book and based many of the things that I talked about in the series on that book. Randy Alcorn, Managing God's Money. I highly recommend it. But he writes in that book, he says this a startling thing has happened in Western Christianity. Many of us habitually live and act as if there's no eternity awaiting us. The trend is to focus on our present circumstances instead of our eternal future. And he says, being oblivious to the eternity that is ahead of us leaves us experts in the trivial and novices in the significant. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews nine twenty it is appointed to man, to every man and every woman, it wants to die. And after that comes the judgment. Contrary to popular belief, every single one of us is going to face a judgment. We're going to face a judgment for what we did on this earth. If you are in Christ, the judgment is going to be based on your works for Christ. If you're not in Christ, The judgment is going to be based on that. And you will experience an eternity departed from God forever according to that. But every Christian, every non-Christian is going to face the judgment. We've got to keep this in the perspective of our focus. We can't afford to forget it because it's a reality and it's true. And over and over and over again the Bible talks about this. Every person in this building... Every person, including me, is going to stand before Almighty God and give an account for what we did on this planet, on that little red part of the rope. It reminds me of a story of an old country Baptist preacher, hellfire and brimstone preacher. I I probably told this story to you a couple times, but uh, you know, good illustration is good the second time around, too. And he was preaching about heaven and hell, and he was telling the congregation, he said, everybody in this congregation is going to die. And he was trying to get the riled up about heaven, and there's a guy in the front row right here, and he's got this big smile on his face. He's the only one. And he's getting mad as he sees this guy smiling, so he says, every person in this room, every person in this church is going to die. And the guy's smile just gets even bigger and bigger. And he can't understand it now. Preachers, you know, we get annoyed when people don't seem to be getting... You know, the message. And so he gets down into the face of this guy, like right in front of him, "Every member of this church is going to die." And the smile is even bigger. So after the church service, pastor can't help, but he goes right over to that guy and he says, "Listen to me, I've got a question for you. Why were you smiling? I was trying to get you serious about heaven and hell. And every time I said, "Every member of this church is going to die," you just kept smiling. He said, "That's because I'm not a member of this church." <laughs> Every person in this room, member or not of Waters Church, is going to die. Last week, I think I told you, I think I told all three services. It's hard to remember if I told it to all three, but I was going to share the greatest lie ever told about hell, uh, heaven, about heaven. And I'm going to talk about that with you now. The greatest lie that has ever been told about heaven is this. And maybe you've heard it. All is equal in heaven. All is equal in heaven. And what that means is it doesn't matter exactly what you did or what you didn't do. As long as you believe in Jesus, you're all going to the same place. We're all going to have the same amenities. We're all going to have the same size house. We're all going to be in the same place. And we're all going to just share everything and it's going to be equal and square and fair. Can I tell you that there's not a single verse in Scripture that tells us that's true? In fact, it seems every Scripture about the afterlife tells us the exact opposite. That there is no way you can say to me that the same guy who is half in, half out on church and serving his neighbor and loving people and caring for the poor and sharing his faith is going to share the same exact benefits of a Billy Graham or a Mother Teresa or one of the saints of old or saints now in China who is getting martyred for the faith heaven is going to be wonderful don't get me wrong but heaven ain't going to be equal it's just not one time i was preaching about heaven and um this was a long time ago when i was first started out as a preacher and i was preaching about how we're going to take all of our crowns in heaven that jesus gives us and and there's this verse about it in revelation and we're going to take our crowns and we're going to cast them at the feet of jesus and that verse, verse basically means that all we're going to be, be doing is saying, Jesus, we got these because of you. We got these because of you. It wasn't us. It was you. And so we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. Now, this guy who was listening to this message came up to me afterwards and because uh, I had shared about how there's five crowns. I don't know if you know that. There's five crowns. There's a crown for pastors. I don't know if you know that, but there is a crown for pastors. And uh, I was sharing about, even though I'm a pastor, I'm going to get a different crown. I'm just going to take that crown off from, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it at the feet of Jesus. Well, this guy comes up to me, and he says, you know, I'm glad that you talked about how everybody's going to throw their crowns down. And I said, well, why are you glad? And he said, because I don't want you thinking that you're going to have a better heaven than me. I don't want you thinking that you're going to have a better heaven or re- eternal reality than me. Now, let me tell you why it just irked me a little bit that this guy said this. Because he, he was coming to our church. He was the definition of a half-hearted Christian. In the door, out the door. Never could rely on him. And I, and I, and I say this to be truthful to you, just to, just to kind of make a point. He's the, he was the kind of guy that complained about everything. Moaned about everyone. Blamed everybody in his life for all of his problems and refused to take responsibility for his life. And he made this faulty assumption that as long as I say a little prayer at the end of a service... I can live however I want and act however I want, and I'm going to get the same share of heaven as the people who kill themselves for the kingdom of God serving the body or are martyred for the faith or lose houses, homes, or family and are dedicated to Jesus, to the hilt. And I was so shocked at his statement, but I was way too young in the ministry to say what I should have said. You want to know what I should have said? I wrote it down. (laughs) I should have said, you are a half-hearted. I told you I wrote it down. (laughs) You are a half-hearted, complaining, grumbling, angry little man. What in the Bible makes you think that God is going to treat you the same level of reward as his saints who have been martyred for the faith, lost everything for the faith, and or have given up everything for Christ, when you sit on your couch eating potato chips, blaming the world for your problems? (laughs) If you're new to Waters Church, welcome. If I had said that, I'd probably be telling another story today. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's a lie. And it's a powerful lie because it, it allows Christians to be lazy. It lets everybody just say, well, I, you know, I said the prayer. I believe in Jesus. All's fair. All's equal. Listen, heaven's gonna be great, but it's not gonna be equal. We have to live in this balance of of faith and works Now we're all If you're here tonight and you're a Christian You're probably a Protestant Protestants, we're, we're, we're all about Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 I mean that's the That's the Protestant uh, You know, highest Verse in the Bible Ephesians 2 verse 8 is all about How we are saved not by what We do, we are saved By what we believe And so we're going to put up on the screen here He says this Ephesians 2, verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not works, not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's, that's probably the um, referendum on the uh, Reformation, if you will, the Protestant Reformation. We are saved by faith. But it's amazing to me how many Protestants forget that just two verses later, Paul reminds us, why we were saved. Not just to believe and go to heaven and wait until we escape earth. We were saved to start doing something now. And that these things that we're supposed to start doing, they were prepared in advance by God. Two verses after the greatest Protestant verse in the Bible, Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what he says For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For. Good works. We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. In the NIV, it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved by faith, but we're saved to do something with what we claim to believe. And we've got to have balance, yes. But I believe that these two verses, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and Ephesians 2 verse 10, can be summed up in two phrases. Here's, here's the phrases. Our belief determines where we spend eternity, but our behavior spend, determines how we spend eternity. What we believe determines where? Heaven or hell. But what we do, our works, are going to shape that Eternity. For better or for worse, heaven's going to be wonderful, but it's not going to be equal. And I want you to understand that this financial series has to end here. It has to stop here with an eternal perspective on where you're going so that you can start to stockpile good things in heaven, so that you can start to make the investments that matter, and your life that is yet to come in Christ with, with the Lord for eternity is eternally blessed and better than you can imagine, and absolutely no regrets when you cross the finish line. How many of you want that? Yeah. All right, so I got three things for you, and then we're going to close. Number one, you have to believe God rewards. You have to believe that God rewards. He is a rewarding God. He's going to give Paul the crown of life. He's going to give you the crown of life. He's going to give five crowns to to different people. There's a crown for people who have been martyred for the faith. They're going to get crowns. And uh, there's other crowns. I don't have time to go into those. But this is the point. Believe it. Because if you don't believe it, you won't understand that there's something for you to do. Because it's going to be rewarded, uh, rewarded in the afterlife and in this life. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 this is a great verse we all know this verse we've probably heard this verse a number of times but listen to what it says it says and without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe two things they must believe number one that he exists and number two that he rewards he doesn't just exist he rewards he's going to reward you there's an eternal reward awaiting you in heaven do you believe that Do you understand that what you do, what you lose, what you forfeit, what you give up for the kingdom of God now is going to come back to you in the reward and in the blessing of God Almighty? And he takes very accurate notes. (laughs) He's watching you. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. <laughs> are, are you aware that God, God rewards? Listen, um, you've got to let this be your consuming interest so that this world doesn't become your consuming interest. C.S. Lewis wrote these wonderful words. I want to read them, half, I want to read them slowly to you so you understand. C.S. Lewis, great, great Christian of the last century. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Here's what the enemy wants you to, do, wants you to think. The enemy doesn't want you to think that God rewards. The enemy wants you to think that sin rewards Fundamentally, at its core, every decision to sin is a faulty assumption that there is some kind of payoff for doing that sin. The reason why we sin is not because we just want to break God's law. The reason why we sin is because we are fooled to think that doing that is going to pay benefits in the end. That was the beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve saw, or Eve saw, the fruit, and the and the tempter came and said, "You see, that's just like God." He doesn't want you to have that because he knows when you have that, you're going to be just like him, and God's got a a complex. He doesn't want anybody else knowing what he knows, so he's just going to try to keep that from you for the rest of your life. And if that's okay with you, that's fine, but I wouldn't settle for that. And she saw sin as some kind of payoff, and so she chose sin, and we're all paying for it today. Every decision to sin is, is not just a failure to believe that sin rewards, or not, is not just a faulty premise that sin rewards. It's a failure to believe that God rewards. That, that when I don't sin, God watches. That when I refuse to settle for what this earth can give me. That when I'm faithful to the commandments of his scriptures, there is an eternal blessing that awaits me if I obey what God tells me. And you've got to get this in your heart. And to get it into your heart, I've just got a bunch of scriptures I'm just going to rattle off for you. Because there's just so many scriptures that talk about how you do what this says and you're blessed. You do what this says and you're blessed. You do what this says and you're blessed. Okay, let's just, let's just r- rapid fire them. Deuteronomy 5.33, God says through Moses, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land you shall possess. Deuteronomy 6, verse 18, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of others, but in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you Deuteronomy 29 verse 9 therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may what that you may prosper in all that you do Joshua 1 verse 8 this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night for when you for then it will make your way prosperous and you will have good what Success. First Kings two three says, "Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, that you may prosper in all that you do, wherever you turn." Psalm one twenty eight verse one through two. How joyful are those who fear the Lord! All who follow His ways, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be! John thirteen verse seventeen. You if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. Galatians 6, verse 9. Do not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Hebrews ten thirty five. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. I mean, it's as if from cover to cover, God keeps telling us, trust me obey me and i'm going to bless your pants off really i'm going to bless you in fact he wants to bless you and he blesses obedience heaven will be awesome it will not be equal i want you to look at with me at one more verse and those are just a smattering i mean there's there's just i mean hundreds of verses that talk about this deal first timothy chapter six paul writes um, he says teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to put their trust in money which is so unreliable okay just so that we're clear this verse is about us we are the rich we are the rich if you make twenty five thousand dollars in america you're in the top 10% of the world's income. There are two point some odd billion people who live on less than $2 a day. So this verse is not about those rich people down the street from you or in that community that you know around the corner that's really rich. This is about us. And he says, teach these guys, these rich people in the world, not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, and we all know that. Their trust should be in God who richly blesses us or gives us all we need for our what? For our enjoyment. We talked about that last week. God wants us to enjoy our life. But then he says this, tell the rich people, verse 18, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in, there's those two words again, in what? In good works. And generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And then he tells us why. By doing this, verse 19, he says this. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure. Remember, that's what Jesus said, store up your treasure. They will be storing up their treasure as a good, and I want you to read that word with me, as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Let me ask you something. Is a foundation a beginning or an end? It's a beginning. You don't build the house and then the foundation. You start with the foundation. Did you hear what Paul just said? Paul just said the good works that you do on this earth, they're just your foundation for the eternity you're going to spend in heaven. I I want you to think about that. He's saying this is all you can really do with what you can do on earth. All you can really do is just build your foundation or shrink it. And I think that there are far too many American Christians with teeny tiny foundations in heaven. We need to understand, heaven's going to be great. It's not going to be equal. So I'm asking you, I'm calling you at the end of this series to start building that foundation as big as possible. Knowing that God's going to reward you for everything you do in the kingdom of God. Know that God rewards. Number two, number two, let the rewards motivate you. Can I say this? you got to hear this. Um, It's okay to be motivated by heavenly rewards. Because there's this super super spiritual pseudo-spirituality out there. I don't know if you heard, I don't, I, that's nice, Pastor, but I don't serve the Lord for the rewards. I serve the Lord because it's right. Well, good for you. (laughs) The problem is, the Bible doesn't say that. The, The problem is that God is the one who came up with the idea of rewards. We didn't invent this. Jesus said, store it up. He said in another place, do your good works in secret so that nobody else sees, but your father sees. And when he sees what is done in secret, Jesus said, he's going to reward you. We didn't come up with this idea. Jesus did. And he said, it's okay if that's your motivation. I would say, don't let it be your only motivation. But be motivated by this. Be motivated to serve the Lord and think about this. If you lose now, you get it back later. If you give now, it's going to come back to you a hundredfold later. So the first idea you got to understand about this motivation deal is this. God is the one who told us about the rewards. Why would he ever expect us to do what is right without motivation based on those rewards? It's okay to think about that and be motivated by that. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, whatever you do... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing, not hoping, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your what? As your reward. Okay, so first off, God came up with the idea of rewards. Secondly, the great men of the Bible were motivated by rewards. Did you know that? Moses was in Pharaoh's house. He had it all, educated in the finest schools, a palace, a home in the king's house, um, was probably, uh, you know, had an inheritance with the king, had a lot going for him, thought probably, people thought the world of him. But at one point, the Bible tells us at one point Moses saw the writing on the wall, and the writing on the wall was, this does not last. And so Hebrews kind of synopsizes it for us. And it says this, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, it says this, he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking toward the reward. What was his motivation? For giving up the palace and to go and live with slaves. The reward. That was his motivation. So if you're sitting there telling me, I don't do it for the rewards. I do it because it's right. Well, look at Moses. You want more proof? Look at Jesus. He served God's purposes on this earth looking toward the reward. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Okay, he says this. He looked at the joy ahead of the cross, after the cross. And he went through the cross, knowing that that joy was on the other side of that cross. What was he looking at? He was looking at the reward. What was the reward? This is the best part. The reward was you. You're the reward for Jesus' obedience. You, being broken from the power of sin. You and I being set free and liberated to serve the living God with joy and peace and happiness. You and I having an eternity in heaven stored up for us. That was Jesus' rewards. And when when he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. Isn't that beautiful? So let the rewards motivate you. That's, you know, the problem... In in, in Western Christianity, it's not that we're motivated by rewards. The problem is that we're not motivated by rewards enough. And so we get so upset when things don't go well for us here. We act just like the world. We get upset just like the world. We get frustrated just like the world. I can't believe they messed up my order again. How am I supposed to live like this? (laughs) You're just like a non Christian. Oh, I can't believe that. I gave them money, and they didn't even say thank you. I can't believe that. I I blessed that person. They didn't even acknowledge it. You're acting just like the world. Jesus told us, do it hoping for nothing in return, because when you don't get nothing here, you get blessed there. This is this is uh, goes back to tithing. This is this is why some people. I'm just trying to break you. I, it's my goal to get every person in this church tithing 10 percent because you're going to see what we can do once we start putting our money into the kingdom of God. We're gonna this this town ain't gonna have a chance when that starts happening. But you got to be motivated in your tithes. You got to see this. I'm doing. I'm obeying God because God told me when I obey Him, it goes well for me on the other end. And so third, it brings me to number three. This is, this is the most startling for some of you. Check this out. The rewards that God has for you are not just waiting for you in heaven. They're available to you here. Did you know this? Where did I get this idea? Jesus. He said in Luke 18, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the time to come? Did you just read what Jesus said? He said, There's rewards for you now. It's not just, oh, you know, I gotta wait for heaven to come, I guess. It's now. Some of you, you're blocking the blessing of God just because you don't have a generous heart yet. You're you're holding back heaven's resources because you're stingy and you got to learn to let go and let God bless as you give and bless others because he's taking notes. He sees you when you're sleeping. (laughs) Did you know there are awesome rewards waiting for you now? I can personally attest to you it's just a blessing to do what god tells me to do now now right here all right there's peace in my heart knowing that i'm doing what god wants me to do do you realize that th- that money can't buy that that that's, that i am at peace with myself i can sleep very soundly at night for the next month until my my baby arrives but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, <laughs> and i'm holding on lord hallelujah <laughs> okay but um the peace to know that, the, the, the joy to see a life change and to know that I had something to do with that. That's why you support this church, because you're part of that process. And when hands go up for salvation and people go through the waters of baptism, you can say, I had something to do with that. I support this place. I pray for this place. I tithe to this place. I, my, my heart is there, because my heart's going to follow my money. Four weeks ago, there was a kid sitting right over there on Saturday night, And I asked for somebody to get saved. And he put his hand up and he got saved. And I knew the kid. He was in my youth group up in Norwood nine years ago. Now this is the story that comes out. He emails me last week. He says, Pastor Tim, my life has changed. It's radically changed, radically different. He's gobbling up scripture like it's the only thing that matters. And he tells me, P.S., I don't know if you remember this, in his letter is an email to me. I don't know if you remember this, but nine years ago, we were in youth group and I was sitting in the back row. He was a back row guy. And you stopped the worship service and you pointed at me and you said, and I said his name, and I said, God has an powerful and amazing plan for you and you are nowhere near it yet. And he says, you don't know how mad that made me. Because <laughs> I had my own plan. And here I am today, saved. And now I'm realizing how true that really was nine years ago. (laughs) Can I tell you, the reward, that, you just can't beat that. You can't buy that. Money can't pay for that. So I'm telling you, I'm begging you, in all this money stuff that we've been talking about, being generous, tithing, being faithful, all right, planting your seed in places where the kingdom of God is, it's going to come back to you. Let the rewards motivate you. Number three, lastly, I must examine my own works. Here's the final deal. Just worry about yourself. Don't don't sit there and say, I'm hoping my spouse is listening to this. Uh, My kid better be paying attention. I mean, forget that. (laughs) Just deal with you. Because you're the only one that has to answer for you. You're the only one. You're not going to be able to call me in on judgment day. Pastor Tim, could you? Um, God's asking me a question. I don't know if you could, uh, <laughs> if you could just. It's not going to happen. You've got to take care of yourself. And the Bible tells us this. 1 Corinthians 3, eight. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. Second Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Heaven is going to be awesome. It will not be equal. So how are you doing? with your eternal investment. I want to say something to two groups of people as the worship team comes back. Two groups of people that I want to really talk to tonight. The first are the long-time Christians. You've been saved so long, you've lost the fire of serving the Lord with gladness. And you're worried and and, and, I, and I've been through this and you're worried about your retirement and you're worried about having enough and you're worried about your kids being happy with the presents that you buy them for Christmas and really what you've done is you, you've forgotten you've forgotten about eternity and it is so easy as a Christian it is listen it is so easy to get so caught up in the little things of this temporary world that you lose sight of how little it really matters and how much heaven does. So this is a call to some of those, to, to you. Press on. Ask God to light the fire up again, to switch you on one more time. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit again, so that you're passionate about this deal again. Don't let the fire grow cold. I'm just saying this, don't take offense, but I watch Christians in the church and I get this, it just God speaks to me as I preach and I just, I hate that he says these things to me, but I just have and I say this delicately because I know this isn't the case for everyone, but just listen. I watch as people, Christians, longtime Christians, move from the front row to the third row to the eighth row to the last row as if it's like, what are you, just skulking in and skulking out? What, what happened to the fire? What happened to those days when you couldn't wait to get to church? When you were so excited that Jesus had Cleanse you of all your sins, that you were ready to sign over the deed of your house for world missions if that was necessary. What happened? We're responsible to keep the fire going. Did you know that? Don't let it go out. Then the second group of people are the new Christians. The new Christians. Or new to this church. Listen, if you're a new Christian or you're new to this church, I don't care how you got here care what you do when you're here and uh, for those of you who are saved and basically your salvation so far means coming to church on Saturday night or Sunday morning and Wednesday night it's time to take the next level it's time to go and, and start sowing your seed it's time to start talking to neighbors and praying for people to get saved and, and investing, investing. And, and, and some of you, and serving in the church. Yeah, that's another way that you can earn and store up treasures in heaven because God is taking accurate notes. And you say, well, nobody's going to see me. Exactly. That's why we do it. So, so there are people in this church that are going to get out-rewarded, that I'm going to get out-rewarded by. I, they're going to out-reward me. Because my, 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 my deal is very public. But there are people here, we have no idea what they do. And we don't even realize it. We don't even thank them for it. And their reward is stockpiling big time. Their foundation is growing by the Sunday. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 it says this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised. What are we waiting for, church? It's time to invest. It's time to light that fire again. It's time to not get so caught up down here that we don't have any eyes up there. I want you to stand with me.